How many of you, when you buy a car, want a warranty? None of none of you. None of you. Okay, just just you. Um, now, Roger made a good point earlier in the first service when I asked the question. He said no, he didn't want one on a used car because they cost more money than they're worth. But on a new car, how many of you want a warranty? Do you know why we why why manufacturers offer warranties? Is it to lure you in or to make it so that you can afford to make the payments and have the car? Or is it to let you know that they're going to take care of the problem should it come up? See, it could be any of those things. I I have a couple of stories about buying cars um, that I want to share with you because you might be somewhere between these two spots that you might need a little help along the way with uh, your car purchase. The first one is a story from St. John. This actually happened. They have a special bank down there called Lamont Bank of St. John, and a young man went in to buy a car and get his loan set up, and the banker came out, looked at his old car, and said, no, this one will do. You don't need a new car. And, and, and so the banker was sort of making an assessment that he needed more help with that car. He needed so much help on not getting the new car that he was just not going to get it. And so you might be near that spot. The other one is a, is a friend that I know is a diesel mechanic. See, sometimes I come over here and stand when it's bad stuff, and this time I'm over here when it's good stuff. I, I was in, on the lot with him when he was looking at a truck, and he started it up, and he went around to the backside of it. The exhaust was perfectly, you're right, there was no, uh, there's no cloud or anything like this. And he, he leans down, and he starts to smell the exhaust, and he says... <clears throat> This truck's burning oil. Right? There's no cloud. There's no smoke. There's no nothing. How many of you can do something like that? Is there anybody in here that can? One. <laughs> two. There's probably two of you in here. My brother could probably do it, but, but let's say that you're not somebody that can just stand on your own in, in the purchasing and understanding what's going on in the engine. Perhaps you'd like a little guarantee or a warranty. That's what warranties are for. Now, the scripture that I have, I, I lead up to this all instinctively so that you will know what we're talking about when I read from Ephesians 1, 11 and beyond. I know your bulletin says 13, but I needed to go back two more verses and, and I just had to do that. Plus, it's fun to change the bulletin at the last minute. <laughs> Here is Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In who? In who? Jesus, right? Last week we know, we know Jesus. We know whom we have believed. In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now that him is a different him than the first one. In him, in Jesus, we have these promises because God has worked it out. So that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's the language of warranty. 
isn't it? God's saying, I'm going to make it happen. That car you just bought is going to be trouble-free or as trouble-free as possible until that time. How many of you have an understanding that what this inheritance of going and living with God is? Do you have some idea in your heart when you start thinking about it? Does it make you, make you glad that you know Jesus? Okay, or as or as one of the I think it's First Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. If you have a hope that lies within you, it makes you ready to say, "I've got hope." Well, perhaps you're not like my friend buying a car over here. That you may need a little assistance standing until that day. That's what Pentecost is about. That's what this scripture is about. That this, that this assistance that we need to stand. And, and by the way, if you think you can stand on your own, when, as, as in Acts 1 said, when, when the clouds go dark and there's smoke and pillars and the moon turns to blood, right? That's the portents of the last day. Do you know what the people standing on their own without Jesus say at that moment? After they crawl into the cave? They ask the mountain to fall on them, so to put them out of their misery. Even the people that think they can stand on their own can't stand on their own in that moment. You need some assistance. And so this is what this is about. This guarantee, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that you're not on your own. Let's just take a breath for a second. Does that sound like a good idea? To not be on your own in the moments when you can't stand? that's a guarantee for this reason because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in in the knowledge of him that's the Holy Spirit in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you were called. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So that you will know how many of you came to Jesus and you just never did anything ever again. You didn't read your Bible. Look, it's all done. I can just sit here until the end. Is that what he's called us to do? No. You're not ready to stand on your own, but you need to stand a little bit with God because the way God works is he doesn't call you just exactly the where you are and just say, sit there until the time comes. The reason for that is there's more, there's more in the world to be done than what's been done already. And God needs this hope spread He essentially uses you like a seed drill if you're willing to go a little further with my farming analogy. Do you know what a seed drill is? Is The farmers use them and they they take a little bit of air pressure and as they go through the field, it, it shoots the seed to a certain depth given the soil compaction just to the right spot. You're... The planting mechanism of that hope in other people that God chooses to use. Now, you might not know how that works exactly. I need to make sure that you know how that works. When you come to him and the spirit of wisdom enlightens you to what hope is, he does that through God's word and relationship with him. So here's the deal. 
When you come to Jesus, you got to spend a little bit of time in the love letter that is known as the Bible that God wrote to you. Otherwise, when it comes time to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, if you don't read that love letter, then you won't know anything about what it says, and the Holy Spirit can't bring it out of you, and you'll sit there and go, I don't know nothing. Because you don't know nothing. You have good feelings, you think you might know some things, but you don't know anything. And the only way to know it is to put it in you so that when it's in there, the Holy Spirit can bring it out. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you means I've got hope. Now I need to go find out more about it. And we always, for the rest of our lives, with the Holy Spirit, that's the language here of this, having your hearts and your eyes enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you are called. But it's more than that. It's not just that the Holy Spirit comes and shows you stuff like a teacher. It's that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that you're going to get there. He's the warranty of God on his people. He's the warranty of God on his people. But God also has another warranty side of this that he wants to make sure you know the hope to which you are called to the riches of his glory. You are, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance? Man, I got my tongue fixed and now my mouth doesn't work. You are God's inheritance. He, He doesn't just want you there because he wants you there. You're his crown and glory. It's two-sided. You get something out of this. You get to go live with God. God gets a people who love him and want to be with him. Now, you might say, well, he could just make that happen, right? He can just, you know, if he, if he were the bad guy in Avengers Affinity War, he can just snap his finger and it just happens and you'll just love him. But that's not the way God's love is. God's love never, ever, ever coerces. You fall in love and you begin to fall in love with him and you want to know more about the person you love. And so you find out more and more about it. That's why when you come to Jesus, you don't just sit there like a blob and never do anything. Because when you come to Jesus, it's a love relationship and you'll want to know more so that you can then always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you because he plants that hope in in you and when you love somebody, you want to know more. And if you don't want to know more, then you probably are not as in love as you think you might be. But the power of God is doing this one thing in you. He's holding you and keeping you secure and, 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 and planting that hope, but keeping that hope secure in you so that you'll get there. And when you get there, you realize, wow, this is amazing that I got there. And God's going, it's amazing. I love you. It's this two way street. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to understand how big a power that is. So I want to do this for you just for a second. I just want to talk to you about how big this power is. So what is the most amazing thing in the Old Test or in the Bible that you know of? What's the most amazing thing described of that you, that you know of? John 3.16. 
God gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him should have eternal life. Now, how does He do that? He sent His Son to us, but His Son just didn't just hang out, did He? He did something else, right? He sent the Holy Spirit. How did He... Right, right. So I'm, I'm missing this one little thing right in the middle of the cross. What happened after the cross? The resurrection. Have you ever heard anything like that before? That's a big deal. Now, that we would be redeemed out of that, that's, that's all out of the same power. So I want to tell you this, that this guarantee is the greatness of God's power and that power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's power. That's not just plugged into the 110 volts over here. That's power. Or, or if I was a little more Pentecostal than I am, I would say that's that's resurrection power. Power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of God above all creation and all people and all angels. And, and so we might think those angels are really powerful. No, they answer to somebody. The power that did that that brought him back to the place at the throne of God that he had before he was born, Jesus. Before he was born, that power, that same power that made all of creation subject to him, that made him the leader of the church. Now you might say, but our church sort of acts a little leaderless. No matter what it looks like, Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the leader of this church. He, you could go into any Bible bookstore and pick up 50 books on Christian leadership. And, and that's great. We need some Christian followership. We, we've got a strong leader. We need to follow the leader. His name is Jesus. That power that did that also made him, when you came to faith with him, the captain of your faith. Who sets the course of your faith? Jesus does. I know I believed him. It's not I know in whom I believed. I know I believed Jesus. That same power that raised him from the dead made him the captain of my faith and yours 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 and every one of us. And it's really amazing for me to think of Jesus as the leader of the church because he's up there in charge of everything. But how amazing is it that he's actually involved custom, specifically, personally, in each of our lives and is the captain of that faith? Do you know this Jesus? I know this Jesus. I, 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 I came to him in a spot where I knew I couldn't stand alone anymore and I knew I needed help and his spirit came in me that same power fills the universe with his presence why is the universe filled with his presence because he bought it back the story goes like this of a little boy who built a, a, a radio control boat and he, he built it in it and he was out sailing it on the lake and it went past the range of the, the range of his of his RC controller, it happens. 
And it disappeared and he, and, he, and he searched and he searched and he searched and he couldn't find it. Years later, he sees it in the window of a store, of a secondhand store. And he goes in and he goes, that's my boat. And they go, well, it might be your boat, but it costs this much. And so he bought it. And when he brings it home, that boat is twice his. He both made it and he bought it back. That's our story. You were both made by God and he bought you back. And he seals you with the same, with the same power of the spirit by which he does that where the wind blows. You don't know anything about where the wind comes from or where it goes or where it started, where it's going to end up. That's what the Holy Spirit is like until he's in you. That same power makes your conversion to Christ real. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead makes your life of faith real. Let's just take a breath in. I'll just pause for a moment to let that sink in. You're wondering whether or not your conversion is real, whether that, as John Wesley would say, that warming of, that strange warming of my heart is real, because I don't have any proof. It's real. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead makes that real. He's the one that brings you spiritual blessings. All of them. He's the one that gives you a hope. That's the power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the one that provides the warranty of your faith or the guarantee of your faith. The hope that lies within you, he that began a good work will will be faithful to bring it to completion in you. He is the one that's making it possible. You might be over here buying the car and going in and trying to get the loan and your loan credit is so bad that the banker comes out and says, no, we're not doing that. You might even go to one of those special car dealerships that says we can loan to anybody and maybe they won't loan to you because you need help. He's able to make you stand in times when people trying to stand on their own can't stand. But you might be this person over here that's super capable, that can sit there and lean down, smell the exhaust. I'm sorry, this car's burning oil. I'm not buying it. Not everybody can do that. You still need him, the author and perfecter of your faith, the head of the church, the captain of your faith, the one whose power raised him from the dead is able to make you to stand. And in the end, do you know what else it is? You know what's really cool about that? All this stuff is about what goes on in us. God's sitting there going, they're my glory. You are his glory. You might not think you're his glory. You might not feel like you're his glory. No matter what it feels like and what it looks like, you're his glory. It's sort of like the church. It may not look like he's in charge. It may not feel like he's in charge. He's in charge. Period. That's the way it is. And then there's this little thing that it keeps saying in here. Did you catch this phrase in Ephesians? I just want to read this, just read this line just one more time. Why did he do this? Why is our inheritance acquired and, and so that we can take a possession of it? To the praise of his glory. 
the praise of his glory. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead that keeps you able and makes you able and begins a good work in you and finishes the good work in you and brings it to completion. All of this made known through Jesus and his book. Jesus to the praise of God's glory. That's what Pentecost is about. Pentecost is the warranty of the life of faith. You're going to make it. There isn't anything so bad here that God can't handle it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for today. For each and every person in this room right now, I just thank you for them to the praise of your glory. They are yours. And you are their leader. Help us follow. Amen.